1: can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt this is Cutting Through the Matrix on November the 3rd, 2011. For newcomers, I suggest you make use of the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com. you find hundreds and hundreds of audios for download for free. And hopefully you'll understand the system runs the world, the system that plans the future, planned your parents' future and your grandparents' future. And they have the next hundred years or more planned as well. They don't let things happen by chance in the big system up top. You've got hundreds of think tanks working, actually thousands of them across the world, thinking uh, on specific problems that may arise. That's to make sure that the elites that run the world and pretty well own it all, I will continue to own it all uh, from their offspring and so on down through the future. So help yourself to them. Remember, too, uh, that I don't bring on advertisers as guests. And uh, therefore, it's up to you if you want to support me by buying the books and discs I have for sale at cutting the And remember, from the US to Canada, you can still use a personal check or an international postal money order. Same price as a regular postal money order at your post office. You can send cash and, and you can also use PayPal. You can, you'll find out how to do it on cuttingthroughthematrix.com website. And, um, remember too that straight donations are really welcome too, uh, by whichever means you want to send it. Across the world, you've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and again, PayPal. And again, straight donations are awfully, awfully welcome, uh, because things are pretty slow right now. And I try to tie the system up as we're going through it, the big changes, the plan changes. I, I read about the changes when I was small, because so I, I was a really nosy little character. They would go into adult library books and, and scan these big books that uh, global players in their memoirs were, were talking about, the coming planned changes of society, the world government that was talked about then, even. And... Uh, the changes that they had to bring on society to make it or enable it all to happen, and so everything is like deja vu when you grow up knowing this stuff, because you know what's coming and what's coming after the things that come, and they're right on track with it. It's a technique, you see. We're so well understood as people that nothing is a surprise to those at the top whatsoever. They've got countless amounts of cash to to throw at studies on us, we're the most studied species on the whole planet, and have been for thousands of years. And that's that's the only thing you have to really understand, is how man works, and you can easily manipulate societies for, for, for then on, forever, basically. And I try to chronicle, uh, as I say, the, the changes, and also to tell you why they're happening, and the organizations involved in making things happen. Uh, and, and the main speakers that come out to introduce some big new change in society I try to point out the agencies that already work for the associations Like the Council on Foreign Relations is one of the big ones And generally they are members of that So you'll find out that nothing comes out by chance Everything's planned, all the major announcements on the news are planned All the events are planned And that's that's a planned world you're living through, literally And all you have to do is to is learn to adapt into the changes and go along with them and be good, meaning you don't cause a stir anywhere, and your masters are very happy. So I try and fill in the blanks that the media leave out because the bigger organizations and the rich men of the world are the ones who make sure that you have what's called an authorized media. They've always owned it, and they tell you bits of stories and omit all the rest and by omission of course you'll come to the conclusion that they desired you to come to you can't help it they'll they lay out the, the track to follow for your logic to follow and you will you'll follow up to right to the end to the uh, the officially approved conclusion and then that you'll hold that as a belief you'll even argue with it uh, with other people and you'll defend stuff that you've only been given partial knowledge of that's the oldest trick in the book now we'll be back with tonight's stories after these messages. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix and it's interesting how when you go back just a little ways in history not too long ago when big agreements were signed with every country in the world, all your presidents, prime ministers across the world, uh, into the the World Trade Organization, this strange star chamber it is actually, uh, that decides who gets to trade and who doesn't get to trade with other countries under free trade rules. And, of course, they came out with the, the GATT Treaty, the General Agreement on Trade and Tariffs, to do with, once they sign on to the free trade and, uh, what it really is, is the first world countries, it's the first world countries that must allow unlimited access to free trade without tariffs into their country for their imports. But it doesn't go the other way for the third world countries. And some of them are a farce even calling them third world today because they're better off than the first world countries. But they're still classed as third world countries and they can still put tariffs on when you start trying to export stuff to them. So it's a one way street really. And, um, the guys who set it up knew darn well because again, they have big think tanks and there's nothing. It's got like a chessboard. They always work out every move before they even start the game. They know what's going to happen. They know that factories are going to flood out of the countries. In fact, governments encouraged them all to up and move to China. In fact, they used the taxpayers money under their agreement to do so. In fact, we fund them for the next 10 to 15 years if they claim they haven't, uh, the move has actually made them lose any profit at all. So it's a great deal. And yet so little of this was explained to the public at the time. Probably nothing was explained to them at the time. And that's the way they like it, you see the top. So that you, you, maybe one day a few people here and there, not too many, will notice that everything's made in China, that stuff you're buying in the stores. Because it didn't tell you that that was the whole plan of everything. And eventually nothing's made in your own countries, which obviously meant, obviously meant that the factory population that used to be in your own countries would be totally unemployed. Of course they knew all that. They knew they were going to plan recessions down the road. They knew everything that was coming. They've been building up private armies for 20 years or more inside your own countries to deal with the fallout that's going to happen around now. You see? As we go down the hill, all planned by the guys that you vote into power, and you never learn. You never learn. This article here is about America's. It's from Mail Online. America's economic troubles are continuing to bite, with almost 15% of the population now on food stamps. It emerged today. The ranks of the poor applying for food stamps increased by worrying 8.1% over the past year to make a total of 45.8 million people. Assuming there are about 190 million Americans of working age, that means more than one in four of working age are now tapping food stamps. And it says um, one in five residents in Tennessee, Oregon, New Mexico and Louisiana also depended on the handouts, formerly known as the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, SNAP. And it says, uh, officials fear the numbers may swell even more in the coming months as people battle financial hardship and record unemployment. But one reason for the rising number of recipients was that many states have waived requirements limiting the assets food stamps uh, a- applicants could own, said the Wall Street Journal. And it says the number of food stamp users exploded after the recession hit in late 2007 and has continued growing even though the downturn is officially supposed to be over. Uh, researchers at the Carly, at the Carsey Institute at the University of New Hampshire estimated the percentage of Americans receiving the stamps increased by 61.2% between 2007 and 2010 and it says reliance on supplemental nutritional assistance program was very high among single parents, rising 10%. In 2010, 42% of single mothers, 25% of single fathers relied on the stamps. In rural areas, it was even higher at one in two single mothers. States also made changes to make it easier for residents to tap into the program, such as waiving requirements that limited the value of assets uh, food stamps re- recipients could own. Meanwhile, a second set of figures revealed today that 1 in 15 people in America is now living in poverty officially. That is, they actually have official guidelines <laughs> to see your, your poor. So 1 in 15 in America is now living in poverty, and it's a shocking number, a record high, and it's spread widely across metropolitan areas. So that's the the, the, the New Deal, you know, and that's the New Deal that we're talking about. Uh, and, of course, international trade was going to save us all, make us so happy and rich and wealthy and and all the rest of the, the rubbish that they feed to the general public, putting know darn well exactly, w- what it's going to cause. This is no surprise to anybody at the top whatsoever. And then we find, too, that uh, smart meters. Smart meters is an amazing thing, you know, because uh, these gizmos and gadgets were worked on for years before the public heard of them. And the whole idea was to make a smart grid Uh, that's one part of it all a smart grid for the coming electric shortages because you see they're cutting back on power plants etc and they knew that too uh, long before they signed all the deals to to shut down all the coal plants as well they were not not going to replace them in other words and even years ago back in the the 80s and 90s they were showing over in Europe um, rolling brownouts and how it would affect them and how you could look up charts to see when your city was going to get its scheduled brownouts for the week, at what times and so on. And this is what's going to come to America as well. And these things not only can do that, uh, cut different areas off, uh, it, they can actually cut you off personally if they claim that you are using too much electricity. So be penalties uh, for going over a certain amount, and you get warnings. We've had it in the papers in Canada, in fact, when they first talked about it, you get warnings, and they'll simply cut you off if you go over your quota. Rationing, in other words. And it'll depend, of course, on how how necessary it is for you to have that power uh, because of your social status. Are you are you working in local government, etc.? Et well, you need that all the time. You need power and all the time. But if you're just an honorary Joe, then you can do without a few hours every two, a second or third night, something like that. So anyway, it also... Um, can pick up on all the different items used in your home. It's a spy in your home, actually, uh, because everything now has chips in them that, that interacts with the smart meter, and it sends all this data back by three different ways. Uh, one is through uh, the broadband, which basically is, is traveling back up the electric wires that it came, comes from. It also has an FM radio in it uh, built into it, and it also has uh, a microwave built into it as well. And the microwaves have been given folk a lot of headaches and odd symptoms. You get oddest symptoms with microwave radiation. Or or the same stuff you're using in wireless. You you get headaches, you can get pains in different parts of your body. They can move around over the hours into different other parts of your bodies, And uh, nausea, uh, rashes as well. And sometimes even disorientation with some people. So we're not meant, you see, to be bombarded with something that shouldn't exist in nature at that frequency and that that power level. But anyway, our masters have thought better, and this is the agenda, and so they're going ahead with it. And by the way, the the smart grid itself is to go around the whole world, and eventually you'll have one power company uh, owning the power of the planet. I'm not kidding about that. They've actually put maps out on it, the power grid for the planet. Now, it says, just as PG&E enters the final phase of its deployment of wireless smart meters in California, The largest of the state's investor-owned utilities has reversed course, quietly beginning to replace smart meters of those reporting health impacts with the old trusty analog version. Consumers' rights and health groups immediately seized on the news, demanding that millions of Californians unhappy with their new wireless meters get their analogs returned immediately at no cost. Smart meters are new wireless utility meters being installed as part of the Smart Grid initiative spearheaded by technology firms and backed by the Obama administration and the Department of Energy. Well, every country is, sees a big initiative, a global initiative. So it doesn't they have to get Obama's name stuck in there. It doesn't matter what puppet they've got in. Promises ranging from lower utility bills, which is rubbish, by the way. Because they, what they do with the smart grid too, if you're one house amongst 20, they can pick your house and they can run all the data through your meter. And you you are paying for the electricity they're using during that time to do all this analysis for them. you actually hear the meters hum really loudly when yours is being used for that, and you pay for that too. So promises ranging from lower utility bills to enhanced renewable generation capacity have failed to materialize with widespread reports of higher bills, privacy violations, fires and explosions, and commonly reported health impacts such as headaches, nausea, tinnitus, as right in the years, and heart problems associated with powerful wireless transmissions. Uh, widely disparate political groups from members of the Green Party to the Tea Party and the Occupy Protesters have attacked the program and dozens of grassroots organizations have sprouted up over the past several months to fight what they call an undemocratic, unconstitutional and dangerous assault on people in their own homes and neighborhoods. Dozens of people have been detained or arrested for peaceful civil disobedience, and even simply speaking out against deployments. In California, more than 47 cities and counties have demanded a halt to installation, and a dozen local governments have passed laws prohibiting the controversial technology. The smart meter issue has further angered a public already seething at the utilities over repeated gas explosions, safety breaches at nuclear reactors, and an increasingly extortionate rate structure. Word of California smart meter nightmare has spread across the country and around the world, prompting some utilities to place smart meter plans on hold, and recently Nevada PUC to call for investigations into the health effects and other smart meter problems. So at least uh, they're starting somewhere, and everyone has to keep up the pressure to have these spies in your home uh, removed, because that's all they are spies, and, and they have the ability to just cut you off as he knows you around and see what you're using uh, or should you use that? that should send you little notes by the way in your bills if you've been a good boy or a bad boy depending on your usage you see and don't you, don't you resent getting treated like a child Huh? I mean since when are, are, are utility companies supposed to be involved in psychological operations like this treating you like a, a little animal by little gold stars or little red ones back with more after the spring. And what we're back cutting through the matrix and over the years I mentioned the agreements between Canada and the, the US and Mexico as well, not just free trade but also to do with security and also to do with uh, so-called um, emergency management and cooperation. Uh, of course, the whole idea is to unite the whole continent eventually in, in, in every sphere, in every sector. But there's uh, an article out now to do with security. So officials in the Great Lakes region hope to finalise an emergency management agreement with Canadian provinces by the end of this year, thereby enabling first responders from each country to dis- respond to disasters on either side of the border if requested. Now, that also means social unrest, folks, because that's in their treaty from the last time I read it. Representatives of the Department of Homeland Security told a congressional field hearing Friday, In the coming weeks, the DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, hopes to see ratification of an international emergency management assistance compact by the Canadian government, said Andrew Valesquez, administrator of Region 5 of the Federal Emergency Management Agency. Recently, emergency management associations from both countries, as well as federal, state, and local officials, have reviewed the language of the agreement under the Central Regional Emergency Management Advisory Committee, called CREMAC, I guess the Crimea yeah, after the disasters, consisting of some U.S. northern states and the Canadian provinces of Ontario and Quebec. FEMA helped establish CREMAC in the mid-1990s. Interesting, before 9/11. Many uh, Canada kind of put through an omnibus crime bill. It was actually a terrorist bill in '98, just just in case, you know. They have good crystal balls. There. Velasquez told a hearing of the House Homeland Security Emergency Preparedness Subcommittee in Detroit, Michigan. It stands alongside three other geographic advisory councils: the Eastern Regional, which is called Irimac, a Prairie Regional, which is called PREMAC; and Western Regional Emergency Management Advisory Committees, which is called REMAC. It says FEMA Region 5 hosted a meeting of participants in, participants in CREMAC and PREMAC on October 26, largely hammered out a consensus between U.S. and Canadian agencies, Foleskos said. Once ratified by, the, by the, the Canadians, the CREMAC would enable first responders in the states in FEMA Regions 2, 3, and 5, including Michigan, Minnesota, New York, and Ohio, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin, and the Canadian provinces of Ontario and Quebec, to respond to emergency calls from either side of the border, Val, Valichuis said. In so doing, both countries would pool the resources and manpower to deal with any terrorist attack or natural disaster in their shared area along the U.S. northern border. The Central Regional Emergency Management Advisory Agreements and a Companion Prairie Regional Emergency Management Advisory Agreement uh, as the assistance compacts are formally known, also would permit shared planning and exercises between U.S. and Canadian jurisdictions to improve their preparedness, response, and recovery activities. Under the agreements, one member state or province could send people or equipment to any other participating state or province. So military and the whole lot can get interchanged and go back and forth. The agreements are modelled after an existing international emergency management assistance compact already agreed upon by states and provinces in the IRMAC, Five eastern uh, Canadian provinces and six U.S. states participate in the agreement which received ratification both from U.S. Congress and the Canadian Parliament around 1996. In 1998, REMAC jurisdictions likewise set up the Pacific Northwest Emergency Management Agreement to enable international assistance in border air disasters between three western uh, U.S. states and two Canadian provinces. So anyway, the Coast Guard's involved, everybody's involved, and... um, uh, it's basically the pooling of resources, as they say, which is just the, the joining of all the special teams and military, etc., that would deal with any problems whatsoever, of any kind whatsoever. But uh, it's ongoing, and they, they, every agreement, of course, bring, binds them closer together and loosens any problems up so they can get through much faster to deal with. And a social unrest is high on the priority, by the way, under their documentation. Now... I have mentioned Richard Muller being accused of hiding the decline of of the so-called global warming, but uh, I'll put this link up again. It's Berkeley Warmest. Richard Muller is accused of hiding the the decline by a team member. It was hailed as a scientific study that ended the global warming debate once and for all. The research that, in the words of its uh, director, proved he should not be a sceptic, at least not any longer. Professor Richard Muller of Berkeley University in California and his colleagues from the Berkeley Earth Surface Temperatures Project Team claim to have shown that the planet has warmed by almost a degree, centigrade since 1950, and is warming continually. Published last week ahead of a major United Nations Climate Summit in Durban, they always throw these fake figures out just before the... the, and they actually admit that too. I've read the articles where they admit they do this every year. South Africa next month, their work was cited around the world as irrefutable evidence that only the most stringent measures to reduce carbon dioxide emissions can save civilization as we know it. But today the Mail on Sunday can reveal that a leading member of Professor Miller's team has accused him of trying to mislead the public by hiding the fact that best research shows global warming has stopped. Uh, Professor Judith Curry, who chairs the Department of Earth and Atmospheric Sciences at America's prestigious Georgia Institute of Technology, said that Professor Miller's claim that he's proven global warming skeptics wrong was also a huge mistake, with no scientific basis. Professor Curry is a distinguished climate researcher with more than 30 years' experience and the second-named co-author of the best BST projects for research papers. Her comments in an exclusive interview with the Mail on Sunday seem Certain to ignite a furious academic row, she said this affair had to be compared to the notorious climate gate scandal two years ago. Like the scientists exposed then by leaked emails from East Anglia University's climatic research unit, her college from the best project seemed to be hiding, uh, trying to hide the decline in rates of global warming. We're actually cooling. So I'll put this article up as well uh, because people always remember the games going on. Some people understand it and forget it again. Amazing, eh? Back with more after this break.
2: You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth.
1: Hi, folks. We're back cutting through the matrix. And just before I take callers, uh, after reading that article, too, about 115 in poverty in the U.S. and and, and so many on food stamps and so on, then you go back to the big mortgage companies. And it says mortgage finance giant Freddie Mac uh, said on Thursday it will seek an additional $6 billion from U.S. taxpayers following its worst quarterly loss this year. The government-owned company reported a comprehensive loss in the third quarter of $4.4 billion, it said, in a filing with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission that compared with a $2.5 billion loss for the same three months period in the previous year. Despite income of $4.6 billion, the company registered a net worth deficit of $6 billion, which was partly attributed to a $1.6 billion quarterly dividend payment to the Treasury. So, in other words, they want to be exempt from that. The weak labour market and fragile economy continue to be heavily on the single-family mar- market, causing many potential buyers to sit on the sidelines or opt to rent the spent high, high affordability and record low mortgage rates, uh, Chief Executive Officer Charles E. Haldeman said in a statement. Freddie Mac has now drawn $72.2 billion from the government. It's not bad, eh? <laughs> Since it was taken over at the heights of the financial crisis in September 2008, the government seized both Freddie Mac and larger rival company Fannie Mae as mortgage losses at the two firms piled up and threatened them with insolvency. Freddie Mac has now returned $14.9 billion of the money as drawn from the Treasury in the form of dividend payments. Looking ahead, we expect the Tepid recovery to continue to put downward pressure on house markets into early next year, Haldeman said. So, Uh, It's just uh, amazing. Uh, I mean, you should get a job in government and get into one of these companies, you know, and you just can't fail, can you? And you'll still get your billion-dollar pay raises and, uh, you know, your little bonuses at the end of the year. Uh, Astonishing, but not really astonishing, because, you see, we live in a corrupt system, and it's really always been this way. In the past, they were better at hiding things and covering things up, you see. And now, of course, some things leak out in the papers once in a while, when they can't keep the magic going anymore. Now, we'll go to the callers, and there's Karen from New York on the line. Are you there, Karen? Hello. Hello. (laughs)
2: Hello. Hi, how are you doing?
1: Not too bad at all. (laughs)
2: Um, This is a little off topic. Um, I was wondering if we could talk about uh, culture creation. Mm -hmm. Um, I was thinking about, um, you know, in the late 18th, early 19th century, uh, you had a lot of archaeological expeditions, and you had Freemasons. Say, so Sir James Fraser or um, with the Golden Balllor of uh, Yates and the Golden Dawn Society, collecting all the folklore of Ireland or you know different areas, and how it seems like they collected this and analyzed it and uh in into pop pop cultures sort of uh reshaped it like to call the foundation myths and rewritten them to kind of make a standard.
1: Product that they sold the public. <laughs> yeah, Can you well, talk they did. About that a bit? Well, we know that Yates, um, Yates belonged to societies that uh, were meant, uh, their whole function was to try and revive what they thought was the old mythical cultures of places like Ireland, countries like Ireland, and so on, and others. And they brought forth the, the fairy lore, the, the, the old fairy uh, folklore. Uh, up to a, a higher standard too This was in an era, remember When, uh, and this is the, the In this system, which, which Isn't a random system, as we go Across the world, conquering it, taking it over By empires and, and Falling and then rising, etc With other empires, as the, el- the wealthy Elite keep moving around um, They they'd pretty well reached a, 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 a period at that Time of the highest f- uh, Level of empire i mean britain ruled the waves it was all across the planet uh, right through india all the way to afghanistan in fact the borders of afghanistan and uh and all throughout africa they've been in africa for a long time and and it, it also subdued the cultures uh that they didn't like too much the ones that rebelled against them like the scots and they were still trying to subdue the irish and um uh, you, you find that they were severe on the countries that really rebelled against them. Very severe. I mean, they, expo- they, they deported really millions of people uh, from Ireland and Scotland.
2: Can I uh, for a second? I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> um, it, it, what's interesting to me is, it, they like, he, say uh, everyone's interested in Tolkien and he, he was yep. a... A specialist in medieval literature, a professor at Oxford, and, he, yeah. you know, in his works he took all these elements that, you know, were just traditionally maybe Norwegian or English or British and or Celtic and you know, rewrote them, and they've become, like, part of our myth now. That's right. Essentially obliterated the old, you know, Beowulf, or, you know, what people would have formally referred to as, you know, who they are.
1: Sure. The thing was, you see, that first of all, uh, they, they tried, and it was during the times of Walter Scott too and others, they tried to revive uh, some of the cultures they destroyed. And that's, that was the whole point of Ireland, Scotland, and different countries. And they came out with books about the noble, the noble savage. They were doing the same thing in the late 1800s after vanquishing most of the American Indians. They had books out on the noble savage and the pictures of these wonderful strong-looking guys with a, a chief's uh, headdress on. Uh, and so they try. so they've gone both ways. First, you demonize your enemy, you, you massacre him, uh, and then, then you make him noble, you see. Because you, you know in the process you've lost, you've lost something in yourself, uh, and, and the past that connects you to everything, uh, and the doing, so you come up with the noble stuff. But then Tolkien belonged to some agencies and societies too. And what he was giving you, uh, and so was Yeats, by the way, and some of his writings, uh, was, was the occultic message, uh, of the, the occultic masonry, uh, throughout their writings. And everyone will miss that. Most of them will miss that. Uh, even to do with some of the stories to do with the planets, you know, actually there were, they were planets, not people, some of them. Uh, and, and then if you figure it out, you'll, you figure out these are the actual planets they're giving you. It's occultic, uh, Kabbalism. And it was the same thing too. Tolkien also was, was absolutely, um, He was obsessional about the pronunciation of the language that he was involved in creating for his books and series, and he even had arguments with with Yeats over it. If Yeats, you know, just slovenly mentioned a a word, he would blow up, literally blow up. And Tolkien spent his whole life at uh, uh, the university there. He lived in the grounds uh, and pretty well never left it. And um, of course, Yeats went off and had had his own uh, societies outside there. in in the masonic fields so
0: it's
2: interesting Tolkien, he was an orphan right uh, i believe and i mean you you find these certain characters like you know samuel taylor coleridge that was an orphan as well and you know these certain people they bring in you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) who are i guess the more talented or educated and then kind of used in that way um can i ask one more thing (laughs) yeah um and this is sort of in reference to another network I was listening to today, I think it's interesting how, like, these fictions have, you know, become myths themselves and, you know, have actually, you know, are part of people's reality today. Like, uh, you see all this and Reptoid and all this nonsense. And, you know, stuff was originally part of the Pulps in the 1920s. And then in the 1930s, you have Julie Short and Stan Lee and, you know, these a couple of characters who run the comic books. Yeah. And, you know, you look at a comic book and it's sort of, sort of like hieroglyphs. It's like that, you know, this is why people will pay a million dollars for a comic book. They, the image and the word are melded together and they, it sticks in the mind. And it, it, they, they created like a whole new set of gods.
1: Well, actually, you're, you're quite right in that. But maybe more right than you realise, because I mean, even the, the guys in Canada who came up with the idea of Superman uh, was at times at the same time as uh, George Bernard Shaw and the Fabian Society eugenics and the, and the the demanding to kill off all of the in, inadequate and inferior and the poor. Uh, and they came up with the idea of Superman. And uh, he wrote, of course, he wrote a book on it. a uh, uh, about Superman, uh, Shaw, that is. And then they come up with the comic books, and you see these these guys with the the oversized muscles, etc., uh, all, all as part of that whole genre at the same time. These were all meant to complement each other at the same time because to change culture, you must have different uh, uh, areas of culture all working together on a project at the same time. So you are getting in psychological departments, sociological departments, and even through uh, the comic industry and the, the early movies. you know? Yeah,
2: the guy that uh, did Wonder Woman, I believe he was a professor of like a... Sociology or something yeah. like that—I can't remember exactly.
1: But <laughs> well, yeah, they were talking literally about altering mankind before they were right into genetics, of course. But they were into creating that if man can evolve, is that—that's the theory, of course, evolution. If you can evolve, then you can force evolution on the right kind of people and come up with a super species of humanity. And that was an elite, an old elitist idea that was still on the go, still is. And uh, you can see the now, you know <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: uh, yeah, absolutely, but it does become your culture, as you say, uh, and it affects your, your influence it influences so much uh, on how you see the world, your interactions with people, even the old Star Wars series affected the whole generation uh, there, and never I mind mean the Star Trek series, but the Star Wars certainly did too, and the little stories between fictional characters. And even fictional monsters actually become very real to them in how they'll work out their own problems and interactions with others around them. They actually take it from these fictional things that are presented to them when they're young. Yeah.
2: It's interesting, you mentioned uh, Star Trek. Um, the you sometimes mention mad magazine and that, that was originally from ec comics entertaining comics they had run a series yeah. called weird tales and uh yeah. tales from the crypt and all that kind of stuff and they used to have mass burnings of the comic books in the 50s the christian mm-hmm. associations and you know at the time you know maybe they were right <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh it's interesting the daughter of one of the artists um her husband was a ghost writer for yeah. uh, Star Trek, and he he had been formerly CIA. I had talked to the guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he had written, you know, he, and he, well, you know, Roddenberry, and he had done some other stories for, like, Babylon 5, and different series like yeah. that. And I think it's interesting how, like, you know, these agencies are really very much involved in Well, don't
1: Roddenberry, the Redberry, the Redberry of May, you know, it's very important. But Roddenberry, and the gene of Roddenberry is so a gene, you know, uh, don't forget that, that he uh, admitted many times that the series was meant to influence society into a global society and, and a, a, kind of a new organized structure of society. It's the same society I've, I've been talking about forever. the all at it today. And, uh, but he also was a member of NASA, and he was allowed into the top meetings of NASA planning. And so he tied a lot of the ideas of NASA in with his stories. And, and uh, he was getting the help from top psychologists, sociologists, etc. Because every scene, every story on Star Trek was to do with um, with multiculturalism, actually. It was nothing to do, you know, in, in another sense, with, with the stories in space. The space was a handy scenario for it, a setting. But um, he was using them for multiculturalism and how to accept other odd aliens uh, you know behaviors, etc, that kind of stuff tolerance and, and all of that, so it, that is all part of this this change in society towards the global system that they were working towards, which is going to again be a fabian type society, but even it 's all occultic by the way, because I remember um, uh, some of them that the members of the staff talking about uh, um, the, the signals they used, like like s- Spock would put his hand up and it'd have his fingers open, you know, like the V shape, and that's actually a Jewish blessing. So that so a lot was taken from Judaism, and uh, even the saying was taken from the Talmud that "Few must perish for the sake of the many" that was used many times in, in that series, and so there's a lot of uh, Jewish. Um, Talmud and, and Kabbalah involved in the Star Trek series And the badge itself, when you first see it, it's a, it's a delta shape uh, For the first generation, the first series And then the second one is like a witch's hat It's the same delta or an obelisk with the hat or the circle at the bottom That's also George Washington's uh, you know, massive uh, uh, boasting ornament there and, and And the oval the oval at the bottom, but then the oval in the third series comes up, and it 's a five pointed star you see uh, the masonic five pointed star, if you look at it closely, so the, everything there was well geared lots of money went into that, lots of work to, and it did it changed the thinking and the behavior of millions of youngsters, uh, and they grew up with that, so just fascinated with it and it was a lot of it was enjoyable you
2: yeah. yeah. Thank you for everything. You're wonderful and honest and
1: it's good to hear well, you, well. you I'll call again and, and we'll we'll go into more of it. <laughs> Thanks for Thank calling. You. And there's Mike from Chicago there. there, Mike. Hello? 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 Yeah, yes. Uh
0: how you doing, Alan?
1: Oh, I'm not too bad today.
0: Yeah. Um I'd like to add uh to what you were saying how about uh when they raised the two uh the two hands in the air don't they uh channel ener- energy by doing
1: that? Um, uh, some of them will say so, but uh, the original the original sign that uh, Spock made it was meant to be more um, horizontal and not so much up but horizontal as you do a blessing uh, over a baby especially or a youngster uh, from an elder yeah
0: well um I have a, it's kind of off topic, but I have a question about uh a like genesis um, about uh Garden of Eden and um when god um he when he made the trees he made actually two trees he made the tree of knowledge and the tree of life mm-hmm. and I understand the tree of life uh like as the uh um the scions i think. the scions like when you see it like if you if you were to uh uh draw it on on a piece of paper mm-hmm. like a like a geometrical structure yeah and um like uh what's that all what's that all about and um can you also explain the tree of knowledge
1: mm-hmm. well again the, the tree of knowledge technically and, and it's many levels of this i mean there's many many levels of it um, if you we were to go into Kabbalism, Uh but but really the tree of knowledge on its basic form very basic form uh, is uh, a, a symbolic of, of uh, something that which comes into you which alters you and so that you stop you, you lose naivety and, and innocence. That's what it means. Uh, to know good and evil, to understand to feel good and evil and understand it, you know. Um and the previous imagery of Adam and Eve were of very naive, happy, irresponsible in a sense, um perfectly innocent young people. Uh, that, that didn't know evil because they had never committed any evil, and no one had said what evil was even. They wouldn't know it themselves if they were doing it. And uh, so, in other words, something happened to get them uh, to destroy the innocence and to know that they'd done something terribly wrong. It's almost like they got a jolt of energy or, or a higher IQ suddenly hit them or something, uh, and they realized that there's good evil, uh, and evil, and, uh, and they had just committed an evil act, in fact, but there's, there's many levels to this whole tree and the number of fruit and the, you know, everything's in tens and so on.
0: Yeah, there's like ten, uh, um, what's it called? I forgot what they were called, but there's like ten, um, like when you see the diagram, there's like ten circles and it's all connected. And that's
1: right. And it goes on and on and then there's a whole, you can go on about it for hours. It's quite easy to talk about for hours just in a lecture. But, uh, but in this basic form, as I say, it's innocence. So first comes good and evil, and then comes the tree of uh, for eternal. Everybody who has, who is conscious, in other words, would then seek out eternity if they could. You know. uh, hold on, and we're going to that when we come back from this break. Then. Hi folks, we're back, coming through the Matrix, talking to Mike from Chicago about the, the idea of Eden and, and the idea of the trees of knowledge, basically, and the tree of life. And that was the whole thing with the tree of life, as I say, was that if they got that, then the God or gods, you know, because often it's plural, then um, it said that they'll be like us. And so, uh, of course, they had to drive them out of the garden uh as an idea so you have got all this debate that still goes on today about who the the, the lohim were the gods and uh immortality um etc and it's at it least the imagination r- r- ripe to go in an oh, outer space with it you still there mike yeah? uh
0: yes um, i have uh, also have another question yeah um okay uh, i remember you, uh, I think a caller, maybe about a few weeks ago, um, talking about red-haired people, how, uh, some of the, the, the pharaohs, uh, mm-hmm. the Sumerian kings would wear a, a black wigs, but, you know, when they dug them up, they had red hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, where did these people come from, and what is it about, I guess, I mean, I hate generalizing about mm-hmm. Certain groups of people, but, I mean, what is it about their dispos- uh, disposition, I guess, the red-haired people, or...
1: Well, what we've found, even in uh, the digs that they had in Sumerian, the Sumerian regions, the old areas of Sumer, uh, they, they've also dug up, there was once under a, gar- a modern garbage dump, but they, they actually dug up, dug up the grave site of kings and queens and uh, from Sumer, and... Um, they have some of the best jewellery, in fact, they've ever recovered from the headdresses and so on. It's all been taken from there, and, and they're in museums. You can look them up on the internet. But they, they they found that they also had red wigs there. So we have this odd thing with with the red-haired people, um, light eyes, uh, light skin uh, ruling over a brown-haired, brown-eyed people, darker skin. There, and then we found later the same thing in some of the dynasties in Egypt. Uh, for a while, there's no doubt about it, because they have the little effigies in the in the tombs, and they would also have some of the the top um, nobility Or related to them in the tombs as well, with, with blue or green eyes and uh, a lightish hair. So, and they also did wear the the wigs, uh, which wasn't one. In fact, one, one female who became uh, the pharaoh, uh, really, she became a pharaoh, she had to act like a man. Uh, she actually had wore a, a beard as well, because all the kings wore beards, artificial beards. And they found the beards as well. So I'd, I've never understood why uh, they just didn't have their ordinary hair. And uh, that to be a reason that they'd have to camouflage themselves from the, the people who were ruling over. We find the same thing with the, the Khazars, the uh, people, the royal Khazars, in, around the Black Sea area. Uh, very famous um, books have been put out on the Khazars. And uh, we find in the middle the royal ones who are in charge of all these different bands of darker-haired people, even Muslims, uh, and all converted to Judaism eventually. But uh, they they found that the royal Khazars uh, were blue-eyed or green-eyed and blonde. Uh, And what happened to them? I don't don't know unless they moved on and became the royalty of other countries, which is possible. So there's always this, this... strange thread down through history that doesn't tie together quite as are people coming down through history from the same lineages? we don't know, it's a fascinating topic certainly, again imagination can go rampant, but with no answers to it and then you have the, the red-haired mummies of China uh, that they dug up it really upset the Chinese because they thought they'd always been there themselves, they were the first ones there, but they found these red-haired ch- Chinas and mummy. mummies from China I should say but the, thanks for calling and I better go tonight. So to music coming in. Number two, read the letters between uh, C. F. Lewis and Tolkien. They're fascinating. If you want to be more in that area, from Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada. It's good night. May your God or your gods go God, God, God. with you. Remember, buy the books and uh, buy the discs and donate. And hopefully, I can keep going on for a little while longer.